You're listening to To Dine for the Podcast, the Shot Put Media production, presented by MasterCard. Start something priceless. What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group. American National Insurance, and Spiritless. At the beginning of this podcast, I ask, what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? While the To Dine For podcast provides the restaurants and the people, where are you getting your wine? Uncork.com is an online wine shop that brings the best part of buying wine right into your home. This carefully curated collection of wines range in price to accommodate every budget, from everyday best buys all the way to very special occasion wines. Uncork.com features family-owned wineries from all corners of the globe, California to France, Washington to Italy. If you're looking to broaden your wine horizons, learn about new producers and get great customer service, just like your local wine shop, head over to uncork.com. Use code TDF20 to get 20% off your first purchase. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit americannational.com dine. If you listen to this podcast, you know I love a great founder story. That's why I love the story of Kentucky 74 from Spiritless, Three young women from Louisville, Kentucky, who had the idea for a healthier bourbon. Healthier in the sense it has no alcohol. So you can have an evening cocktail with no guilt and almost no calories. It is so delicious. I love to squeeze an orange slice, a couple of dashes of bitters, shake it with ice, and then strain it into a beautiful glass and just kick back. If you'd like to try a bottle of Spiritless, you can use promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Welcome to To Dine For The Podcast, where we meet the world's most innovative and creative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is Robert Irvine. So everybody's suffering. First and foremost, it is, and again, it goes back to the same thing, people. How will we keep taking care of people? Robert Irvine is a celebrity chef, entrepreneur, and host for the Food Network's hit show, Restaurant Impossible. He has been a guest on shows such as Worst Cooks in America, Next Iron Chef, and Guy's Grocery Games. His support and loyalty for the nation's military has been recognized through the Robert Irvine Foundation, which provides servicemen and women, as well as first responders with mental health resources, mobility devices, and much more. 
Robert is also an entrepreneur of Fit Crunch, Robert Irvine's Foods, and Irvine's Spirits. Robert loves to connect with fans and audiences from all over the world. He has truly established a name for himself and set the stage for what the American dream can look like. Please enjoy my conversation with Robert Irvine. Thank you so much for being on To Dine for the podcast. It's wonderful to be with you today. Well, we're going to have some fun, right? We are going to have some fun. You always have fun. I know that's one of your signature uh, trademarks. You're always having fun in every show that I've seen you in. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. I'm going to start this podcast the way I start all the podcasts, by asking the guest, where is your favorite restaurant? Wow. And I'm going to throw that back on you and say, I really don't have a favorite restaurant. I have favorite times where I dine with people. Mm. And and I say that because most of my time is spent with our military mm-hmm. and anywhere I am, whether it be Greenland, Afghanistan, Syria, to cook and dine with our troops is the biggest highlight of my life. Really? Yeah. And why do you say that? Because I get to see the w- men and women that wear the cloth of our nation that are in arduous circumstances or even at home that are away from their families that do a job that allow me to do my job. And it's called freedom. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's really special. Yeah. There is something about sitting down and breaking bread and having a meal and the conversation that comes from having a meal that is unmatched. Well, I have a program called Breaking Bread for Heroes of my foundation. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I say this all the time when I do interviews and with, with the military and say, listen, food starts the conversation. Yes. It allows us to, to let our guard down and just be us. I agree. Take me back to your childhood. How did you grow up? Did you grow up around great food? Give us a sense of, of what. It's so what... funny because my mother is sitting to my left here. Oh, your mother? So, so it, it's kind of funny. No, I didn't grow up with great food. My mother was an okay cook. Uh-huh. She's listening. <laughs> the one thing she did tremendous, and I mean this, as she would always do a great Sunday roast. Mm weed and carrots and, and, and mashed with lots of pepper and, and, mm-hmm. and either turkey, beef, ham, potatoes, all those kind of things. So so for me, growing up was two boxes of cornflakes and a gallon of milk. Uh-huh. <laughs> and on Sundays, I picked out, um, I'm a huge sweet eater, a dessert. I'm I'm crazy about it. So uh-huh. during the week, I would eat cornflakes and, and you know, things. And I would cook at home because my mother worked. So mm. learning my home economics class at school, I would come home and try and create food that my dad would eat because my mm. dad was very meat and potatoes. And uh, my culinary expertise in my home economics classes were really, you know, French inspired. Mm. So he would say, what is this crap? You know, <laughs> and really meat and potatoes. So I think growing up was great for me. Lots of, you know, I have a brother and two sisters. My oldest brother is 18 months older than me. My youngest are, are um, 18 and 18 months. So there's 18 months between us all. You were all close. And, and it was kind of cool. My brother joined the army. I joined the Navy. Uh, my sisters went through their own great things. Uh, one's married to a soldier in Australia. The one's in Scotland. So growing up was really kind of, not food driven. Food was necessity. It wasn't. It wasn't a fun thing. 
You know, it's funny. I'm going to stop you there because my mother is British uh, from Leicester, and we, I grew up south of Boston. And food, you know, I did not grow up around a lot of great food, which is ironic since I'm doing this podcast. She, one thing she did well was uh, an English breakfast. You know, the eggs and the toast and the, the tomatoes, as she would yeah. say. And her breakfasts were supreme. But and I think for me, when I started to really eat food from around the world, I really developed a palate for just delicious meals. I'm wondering where your spark and your love of cooking began. Well, I think number one, I was in the Sea Cadets when I was young. So a little different in England than it is here. But I would go to naval bases and naval warships and marine bases every weekend, pretty much. Not that the food was good, mm -hmm. because it was sustenance. It was to, to give soldiers and Marines and sailors what they needed to do their job. But I feel that I got a very different feeling that I got at home. And then when I joined cruise ships later on in life and traveled the world, I really got into food. But that it was really my military training that gave me the ability to lead people, which gave me the ability to go to great kitchens and be a commander of a kitchen, if that makes mm, sense. Yes. You can work in a kitchen, great, no worries. Right. But unless you command and understand the kitchen, it doesn't make any sense. And I think the military give me the command and understanding of running a, a large establishment, a shore-based or a warship. Mm -hmm. And then I started to, once I got the mechanics of the leadership down, then got into the food. That's really interesting because you're the first person I've ever heard say it that way. So for you, it's more about the leadership of a kitchen, creating a culture yep. that is successful in a kitchen and being able to execute just like in the military. Yep. And for you, that's, that's kind of your secret sauce. So let's start there. When you are in a kitchen, what do you think are some of the best ingredients to make sure that uh, a team works together well? When you look at the lowest common denominator, and I don't mean in this in any way shame demeaning, I look at a dishwasher. I start there because at the end of the day, they're the most important people in the kitchen. Mm. We break things, we lose things, glassware, knives, forks, spoons, et cetera, et cetera. And that's where a lot of money gets lost. And nobody understands that. So when I worked at Taj Mahal in Atlantic City, I literally had my chief steward cost every piece of equipment to use out and I put it in the dish rooms. And I said for every, every and we, we always opened with inventory control. So every week we'd open with this many knives, this many forks, this many, et cetera. And at the end we'd close. And for every time that we saved money, in other words, we didn't break them, mm -hmm. I give them a bonus. Mm. And all of a sudden. <laughs> you found a lot of forks. <laughs> well, it, it's amazing because they wouldn't throw and break things. And, yes. And, it was only a couple hundred bucks, right? But a couple bucks every week mounts up. up. And I did the same thing with food costs and savings in different outlets and whatnot. So I, I truly believe that starting to understand, and this is the, the, the key word here, understand the personnel that you have, mm -hmm. know their families, know their situations, know what makes them tick. Money does not make everybody tick. Days sure. off, recognition, all that kind of thing. So I, I think that was the biggest eye-opener for me on cruise ships taken into Taj Mahal was, you know, here we go from uh, a thousand people to 5,000 people. And it's, yeah, the same, wow. it's the same system. How do we take care of the folks? What do they need? And are we giving them the tools to do their job mm -hmm. and the training? Because if we're not giving tools and we're not giving training, then how can we have expectations? 
Yes, it's systems and processes. When you go into a small business, a family-run affair, it's a restaurant, and you, you know, and very often you're going to situations that are failing or flailing. What are you looking at, and what do you think is the number one mistake most restaurants that aren't doing well are making? Well, I'm going to give you a broader scope than that because I don't only deal with restaurants; I deal with every kind of business there is on the planet, mm-hmm. from the mom and pop all the way up to the Walmarts and the, and the American Airlines and the Comcast business. Mm-hmm. So I look at all types. You should be able to walk into any business because it's the same kind of systems and protocols. And, and what that's exactly what I do. I walk into to mom and pop or I walk into you know a major Fortune 500 company and I say, okay, show me systems and look for the breakdowns in those systems. For example, a mom and pop restaurant, you know, they cook food, they put the food out. But it starts with a host, then it goes to a server, then it goes to a cook, and then it reverses its way back by the time the server takes the food, uh, and they leave the restaurant seeing the host hopefully last. And it's the same with business. Whether you're in a supermarket like Walmart, how are the, how are the supply chains come in, how they get handled, who handles them, who puts them on the shelf, who does the checkout. So, so it's really taking each facet of that operation and micro microanalyzing it. Mm-hmm. I do the same on a restaurant impossible. You tell me the story. Mm-hmm. I don't know any of the story until I walk in. Mm-hmm. And that's a true statement because mm-hmm. I never want to prejudge somebody. I want you to tell me the story. I want you to show me the food. I want to look at the servers, the point of sale, the cooks, the bartenders, whatever it is, and, and see how it works in unison together or it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting to watch whether you're a, a you know $100,000 business or a $100 million business, we have the same issues. Give me some examples of people who are executing well. I'm sure this is, this is your niche. So this is something you notice every day. Are there, is there a business? Is there a restaurant? Is there a company that you walk in and you're impressed and you say, wow, they're doing it right? There are facets of every company in the world that have greatness. Mm-hmm. But they're all fallible because we have human beings executing those. They're doing the job. Human beings are doing the job. Right. Computers are only good as what we put into a computer. Mm-hmm. Somebody gets sick. Somebody misses the supply chain. So there are there are facets of greatness in every company, but there are also situations that companies fall down through human error, computing errors. But there's no one that impresses you. Like, is there? No, no. there is. Why do you say that, Robert? No one. Well, because there's no perfect system yet. Mm. You know, we have mechanical robots, if you will, going into the Amazons of the world and picking things out, right? Mm-hmm. And they send them out. Mm-hmm. In and you, you probably use the system where you you order groceries online, yes. and the groceries come and they've put the wrong. Uh, potato chips or they put the wrong ham or they put the wrong, you know, those systems have, have not been created to be infallible. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code to dine for to get free shipping. To Dine For, the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. 
There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just the web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. At the beginning of this podcast, I ask, what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? While the To Dine For podcast provides the restaurants and the people, where are you getting your wine? Uncork.com is an online wine shop that brings the best part of buying wine right into your home. This carefully curated collection of wines range in price to accommodate every budget, from everyday best buys all the way to very special occasion wines. Uncork.com features family-owned wineries from all corners of the globe, California to France, Washington to Italy. If you're looking to broaden your wine horizons, learn about new producers and get great customer service, just like your local wine shop, head over to uncork.com. Use code TDF20 to get 20% off your first purchase. Now back to our conversation. Sometimes it's easier instead of going in and fixing a system that is quote unquote broken or has errors. Sometimes it's easier to actually begin at the beginning and start all over, right? So what advice would you give to either a restaurant or a company that is just beginning to ensure success? What are some of the Robert Irvine tips you have for getting going? I think the first thing is we have to figure out who is our end user and what are their expectations? You know, in a restaurant, and I use the restaurant because it's the easiest to, to think about, right? We walk in the restaurant, we've got our hard-earned money. We are going to that restaurant because we either read a review or somebody's told us about it. We want the best experience from being greeted at the door, sat at the table, serviced from a, from a waitress or a waiter, some soft music is clean, all those experiences, then the food has to be exceptional. Not once, but every time and consistently when we walk in. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest problem with business. And, and I'm an entrepreneur. I have 11 companies. You know, We have 3,600 employees, whatever it is now. I don't, you know, we're, we're there. In manufacturing, in selling, in liquor, in protein bars, in food. And, and we make mistakes. We are still trying to, you know, make that perfect system, but it's beyond our control. So what I would say to to people is work every day at the customer experience, Mm -hmm. because the more you you take care of the customer experience in every facet I just mentioned, no matter whether you walk into a store, whether you go to a fuel station, one company that I feel is really good and and they are working really well. And I work with them. Wawa, you know, Wawa. Yeah, sure. Their computer systems when you order food, their system when they make sandwiches. If you compare another company, I won't name the name, but there's only two of them. They haven't figured it out yet. They haven't got there. They want to be the Wawa's. So I think there are, again, I go back to the same thing. There is not one company that is perfect yet. 
And I don't think there ever will be. As long as people in the service business take care of the customer experience. And when there's an issue, don't just throw it away to, you know, and that's one of the biggest things that major companies have. They put you on the phone to try and solve a problem. They said, oh, we've got to put you to another department. They right. press it, go to another <laughs> right. And you're lost. You're gone. I, you're gone. I literally sat on call centers taking problems from people and listening. And that's how I find out the breaks in the chains. Mm. It's interesting. It's almost like your mind is trained not necessarily to look for what's right, but to look for what's wrong. And then you go from there. It's so funny. We have, we have, you know, a big, a big protein bar called Fit Crunch, you know, and on social media, it's really easy to be attacked, right? Because well, my team sent some Fit Crunch bars out or Amazon, actually if it was Amazon, not ours. We sent it to Amazon, they sent it out and they got there and they were mangled up. Well, the first thing people do is hit me up on Twitter. Well, sure. Awesome. I attack that immediately. I don't hide from that. I apologize. I'm like, I'll look into it. We find the system. We find out why it broke down and why did that product that was perfect when it left us get to a consumer in a bad state? Mm. Um, and it's so funny because people really appreciate directness. Hey, mm. listen, we'll fix it. Well, let me look into it. I will get back to you. Mm. And it's, it's simple. But not many people do that. Right. No, it is. It, it, it is. It is simple, but it, it's, it's also complicated in the sense that it really takes follow through and not everyone has follow through. Speaking right. of follow through, um, one of the things you're known for, uh, in, in addition to being a serial entrepreneur and your work on the Food Network and your service is just how fit you are. And I, I've never asked a guest this, but I think it really um, makes sense given what you just said. Can you talk a little bit about your fitness regime and how important it is to you for your everyday life and mental health? Well, I think I firstly start with, I've been working out since, you know, 56 now. I was 11 when I got my first set of weights. And um, 11, oh my goodness. So I was really into physical <laughs> fitness. Then I joined the military, which obviously was all about fitness. And when I came out, my escapism, most people watch TV or, or do something. My escapism is two hours in the gym where I can mm. just focus on me. Mm. because the stress of life in general is I'm pulled. I travel 345 days a year, 150 wow. military. I'm on planes every day, uh, sometimes different, different countries every day. For me, it's my, my solace time. I, I get time to be me with me and alone or, or with somebody that's working out with me. And I think that's really important to, to ground you. Mm -hmm. And I think the fitness piece I do one body part a day, so it'd be chest, arms, bicep, tricep, legs. I do 40 minutes to 45 minutes of cardio every day for heart health. As I said, you, I told you earlier, I, I, uh, I'm a little nut on, on sweets. Look, there's a Twix mm -hmm. I just, but I did work out hard this morning, so. <laughs> you deserve the Twix. But usually chefs are not necessarily buff. And, you know, you definitely, it's clear that fitness is a priority to you. Does it also trickle down to what you eat and how you eat? It does but not all the time. So I also have, you understand, of those 150 days I travel with the military, I have 20-year-old kids, 25-year-old kids that look at you and say, oh, there's the old guy, let's, let's mess him up, you know. Mm -hmm. So I end up going to the gym, Afghanistan. I had a, a, the biggest guy in Afghanistan, literally, uh, on a missile facility, um, challenged me to a bench press competition. He was <laughs> but I buried him. You know? <laughs> I, it, it's really interesting. And then I sent it to the chairman. He said, look, Army of One, I killed him. Uh, 
So I, I think fitness from a mental standpoint in everything we do is huge. Um, yes. So I can't go and preach to the military or to the Navy, the Army, Air Force, Marine Corps, Coast Guard and, and Space Force. If I can't run with those folks and I can't jump with those folks and I can't work out. So I keep myself in that kind of regime because I know that we'll do 10, 12. I, I remember going to Afghanistan uh, last year and I worked out with the rapid reaction force, the, the golden dragons, mm-hmm. you know, I'm fit, whatever, 12 minutes into the workout with these guys. It wasn't, you know, lifting weights and it was five, 6,000 feet above sea level, dragging bodies, uh, uh, dummies of bodies and, and sleds. And I mean, literally flipping tractor tires, I was absolutely shot to pieces. We talk about push-ups and all this instead of, instead of functional fitness. Mm. And that's why the military has changed their whole attitude towards fitness into functional fitness that they do in the field instead of the push-ups, pull-ups, and all those kind of things. Same with food. We have been working very heavily in the last three years in changing the nutritional values of food that we serve to us folks. So, so that's why I keep into, into the fitness. And, and it's great for me because I, I get an escape uh, mm-hmm. for two hours every day, whether it be four o'clock in the morning when I'm filming or you know 10 o'clock this morning. So Let's talk a little bit about the Robert Irvine Foundation. Specifically, I'd love to hear more about what you do to help servicemen and women, especially when it comes to mental health. So about uh, eight years ago, we started the Robert Irvine Foundation after being with Gary Sinise. I'm on Gary's board and ambassador. Mm-hmm. He's one of my dearest, closest friends, which I talk to pretty much every day. I started going with him and it was really weird the way we met. We met on social media. Really? I was going to uh, Honduras with a special forces, 4th of July, to do some dinners and lunches and whatnot, to say thank you. And he was in Alaska got stranded in Alaska and he tweeted me and I said, is this the real Gary Sinise? And he said, yeah, this is this the real Robert Irvine? I said, yeah, <laughs> we end up communicating. And here we are 12, 13 years later doing, doing events. And it started off doing the Invincible Spirit Festivals. I would feed eight to 10,000 folks using the chiefs and the mass chiefs and all the folks at the, at the bases. And he would put on a concert. And we still do that to this day. But in the vein of doing more, I started the Robert Irvine Foundation seven years ago. And it went to more of, instead of building homes, which Gary does a tremendous amount of, I wanted to really focus on physical and mental health. And that's what we've done. When you're injured on the battlefield with visible injuries, so you're, you're an amputee or whatever, and you're sitting in a wheelchair, there's nothing more debilitating than somebody that loves you looking down on you. Yes. It's, it's one of the biggest things I found in, in research was it makes you feel useless. And right. to change that, so we partnered with Dean Kamen, who was a Segway developer, and we came out, he developed it, not me, I just partnered with him, on the iBot. So I can now literally, as long as you have one limb, I can put you in this iBot that goes up and down stairs, brings you height level, you can shoot, you can golf, you can do everything and, and really gives freedom back to the individual and the families. It's amazing to watch when, and they're $40,000 a piece. Last year, we gave away eight. Mm, wow. Just to watch the families be able to spend time with the kids and, and Greg Gadsden, who was the first double amputee, lost both his legs, uh, to continue to command a garrison in, in the uh, army and last a couple of years ago i gave him uh, an ibot and it's the first time he's able to get out into his garden and, and 
he loves photography and, and do that and spend time with his kids. And so I think that's one of the programs and that we talked about breaking bread and, and we have a lot of other programs, but it's really important to me, everything we do, no matter what company we have, the food network and, we have a portion of everything we do goes into that foundation to be able to make changes and really give back life to those folks, you know, and, and it's pretty cool. What, when you are in front of them, when you get to meet some of these servicemen and women who, you know, have lost a limb or really suffering mentally, what do you say to them and what can you offer them that, that might help? Well, first of all, I say hi. Right. And, and, and it sounds again, really silly. They don't want pity. They want normality. For me, I'm like, hey, and sometimes I, I remember the first time I, I went on a hospital visit, the old Walter Reed, the original Walter Reed way back in the 90s. And I was meeting a two-star general and the sergeant major of the army. And I, I got there early and there was a Dunkin' Donuts downstairs. And I went to get a cup of coffee. And there was a guy in a wheelchair just come back from, from the first Gulf War, lost his legs uh, and one arm. And I was behind him in the line and he, he just turned and he's like, oh my God, Robert Irvine. I'm like, mm. hey, how are you doing? Can I buy you a cup of coffee? So I bought him a cup of coffee. I said, so so what's next? And he just turned around and says, I'm going back to Iraq to get my boots back. Wow. And I didn't know what to say. I was lost. <laughs> and and he's like, dude, it's okay. I lost my legs. I lost an arm. I'm not dead. I'm still funny. You know, and, and, and I, <laughs> one of the things that, that makes me continue to, to, Remember that they're real people and they're not, they're not invalids. They're real people with real yeah. skills and you shouldn't feel sorry for them. And, and so I ask, I say, hi, like what's going on? Tell me about, and, and I pretty much know most of them because Gary's built homes. Uh, there's only five quadruple amputees in the war on terror and, and he's built all five homes. So I know all these folks hmm. and I listen and I listen to them. I'm like, what's going on? So, and that's the biggest thing. Stop the talking. Listen. Yes. yes hear, then react. Uh, yeah. And I think that's what you'll see the change in Restaurant Impossible of the, since we've been back three years. I've learned to listen more, to understand more, think, and then react. Interesting. So that is, I love it when people who are incredibly successful like yourself are evolving right in front of us, you know, and, and are able to share that. So you'd say in the past five years, that's a skill that you've really worked on and developed. Oh, absolutely. Before I would go in, in every business and just bulldoze through and like, yeah, okay, well, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing it wrong, you're well, your food sucks, the people suck. <laughs> and, and not only restaurant possible, but business in general, because yeah. very short amount of time to fix. I have real time, you know, here's a week, you've got to fix this, or here's in restaurant possible, 48 hours. And we had a hiatus for three years, and I really worked on my own companies throughout that time. Mm -hmm which become really, really busy and, and, and grew tremendously, but grew because I started to listen and started to understand and started to kind of, okay, well, if this is the problem, instead of being my way, I, I could listen. It was always going to be my way in the end, but, mm -hmm. but listen more to the problems than to give the solutions. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that if you let people speak, they really do reveal themselves and they very often reveal exactly who they are. And, and, and we don't take the time to listen. You know, as we come out of this pandemic, hopefully I say come out of it with a lot of hope, restaurants are struggling. I'm wondering what advice you would give specifically to restaurant owners as they emerge from this pandemic to keep going and to grow their business. 
So first of all, I don't think the pandemic, right, we're, in, we, we're coming out of the pandemic, it's not the business, it's the people. Mm-hmm. Yes, people have changed. We don't have staffing to, to do those amazing things that we used to do for whatever reason, whether people have moved on. I mean, I went to the dentist yesterday and the dentist didn't have any hygienists, didn't have any because they were wow. moved on, right? So, yes. so everybody's suffering. First and foremost, it is, and again, it goes back to the same thing, people. How will we keep taking care of people? And yes, it's about money. Of course it is. I mean, we pay tremendous amounts of money for cooks in Vegas and in the Pentagon. Now it's about what are you doing for me? It's not where it used to be before where the employer would say, well, you're lucky you got a job. You're lucky you got it. No, it's (laughs) the other. How do I get you to come and work for me? And how do I take care of you so you can take care of the guests that builds the business that we're both in? I always say when I go into a restaurant, and the servers were like, yeah, you're here to fix it. I'm like, yeah, I'm here to make you more money. Mm. You can pay your bills. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that's the biggest thing, training, taking care of people, refreshing the restaurants. You don't want to come out of a pandemic. And I've been doing this since, my goodness, the pandemic started in 2020. We were already bringing people out on buses. So I had two buses with six people, literally throughout the pandemic, bringing restaurants out of and changing them so they could comply with COVID regulations, but also make revenue in different ways than people walking in the door. Mm-hmm. So you don't want the restaurant to be the same look, mm-hmm. the same food, mm-hmm. the same service as before. Even if it's a lick of paint, if it's a menu revision, you know, all those things kind of spark the the feeling that you've done something different throughout this. Mm. And it may be, a, you know, a new, a new knife and fork, a new tablecloth, although I hate tablecloths, a, a new tabletop, but something different. A refresh that the restaurant has somehow undergone the same kind of change that we all feel inside. There's been some sort of metamorphosis. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, it's a Friday night and you're cooking for yourself. What do you love to eat or what do you love to cook on a Friday night? Well, it's funny because if, if you ask me that question, we're never normally here on a Friday night. We're never normally here at Christmas, <laughs> never normally here at Thanksgiving. We're always with troops. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Friday night, my wife is an amazing cook. Uh, she just walked out. So I said that just in time, <laughs> right? Um, my wife amazing cook. He is more of the adventurous person. She will make you know, curry tofu and noodles and, and she does amazing roast chicken. She's way better cooked than I am, believe me. <laughs> you married so well. What would we eat on a Friday night? Ina, Ina, Ina Gardens, roasted chicken and mashed potatoes. Oh, potato. yeah. Is there anything better? Gail loves garden. So, so yeah. I mean, I, I'm a big chicken guy. I'm not, not red meat so much anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Eat red meat, but not as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. I used to eat a twelve-ounce steak and French fries and blue cheese every day, but eventually it catches up to you. Yes, <laughs> so, very adventurous, I think, for me anyway. From a meat and potato guy, it'd be roast chicken, mashed potatoes, broccoli. Although we do love pork chops, chimichurri, and either cauliflower that sliced down into steaks with onions, yes. spices, roasted in the oven. Do the same with broccoli. I think anything that's kind of fast. I don't like to clean up. <laughs> That's my biggest thing. We have this beautiful house and beautiful kitchen. I mean, I'm your wife cooks and she cleans too, Robert. Oh, <laughs> and I do too. I married up, but so did she. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I love it. Well, you're wearing a t-shirt that says wheels up. What are, where are you headed? What's your next adventure? 
So I, I'm, uh, we have a new virtual dining concept coming out called uh, Robert Irvine's American Heroes. Mm. I just a photo shoot on Monday in Orlando. Then we go to Homestead, Miami to do a, a restaurant impossible, then to another place in, in uh, Florida to do a restaurant impossible, then to Connecticut right after that. So we're always kind of moving. We never, we never have time down, that's for sure. Well, cheers to you, Robert. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, continued success in 2022. And thank you for all the work that you do with uh, servicemen and women around the world. You're so welcome. Don't forget, we've got Restaurant Rivals coming out March the 2nd uh, with John Taffer, me and him, head to head. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Robert. Have a great day. Take care. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at todinefor with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National, Spiritless, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. 